Welcome to Translation Confidential. This is Peter Argandizo, and I'm joined by my co-host, Patrick Daly. And today we are going to talk about uh, one of my favorite topics, the differences between translation, transcreation, and localization. And I think a great place to start is the definition um, of each of these terms, uh, and that'll help us to have uh, a good discussion around the differences and what you as a customer should think about when requesting translation. Patrick, why don't you get rolling with transcreation? Mm -hmm. So transcreation is a concept used in the field of translation studies to describe the process of adapting a message from one language to another while maintaining the intent, style, tone, and context. Uh, a successfully transcreated message evokes the same emotions and carries the same implications in the target language as it does in the source language. It's related to the concept of localization, which similarly involves comprehensively adapting a translated text for the target audience. Transcreation highlights the translator's creative role in the process, and unlike many other forms of translation, transcreation also involves adapting not only words, but videos and images to the target audience. Uh, and then, Peter, do you want to take a stab at the definition of localization? Absolutely. And I should mention that these definitions come from Wikipedia, and I think they're you know definitely <clears throat> created by the translation community, which is good. They're, I, I think they're very accurate. So language localization, or just localization, um, is the different is the process, excuse me, of adapting a product's translation to a specific country or region. It is the second phase of a larger process of product translation and cultural adaptation for specific countries, regions, cultures, or groups to account for differences in distinct markets, a process known as internationalization and localization. Language localization differs from translation activity because it involves a comprehensive study of the target culture in order to correctly adapt the product to local needs. Localization can be referred to by um, L10N. I'm sure you've probably seen this in writing as L, as in L followed by the number 10 and then N. And it's sort of a, um, um, you know, a, a shortened phrase for localization. So the localization process is most generally related to the cultural adaptation and translation of software, video games, and websites, as well as audio voiceover, video, or other multimedia content, and less frequently to any written translation, which may also involve cultural adaptation processes. Localization can be done for regions or countries where people speak different languages or where the same language is spoken. And obviously translation... Um, for me, I guess let's get started, Patrick. Um, for me, translation is equivalent to transcreation. So if a translation doesn't capture the aspects of transcreation, it's a crappy translation. Um, all too often, people think of translation as a conversion. In fact, that's something that annoys me. So if you want to annoy me, simple. Just say, I need a conversion of this content. And that's a terrible way of thinking of it. To me, that equates to literal translation, and literal translation is never good. Um, it just doesn't work. And so for me, transcreation really just means a good translation. Um, Patrick, thoughts on any of that? Yeah, I mean, to that point as well, um, if translation was just a conversion, then MT would rule the marketplace. And we've seen time and time again that the 
just isn't the case. It needs that human touch, that human element, um, and that human consideration to make sure it's an appropriate translation for the target market that the customers are looking for. Um, what else? I had something else that I was going to say. Maybe where it comes from, in the, maybe where it comes from in the customer viewpoint, because I think you know that's that's like something like. <sighs> I think there was um, some of the larger agencies uh, were deciding that, you know, translation just wasn't sexy enough. So they came up with this idea of trans creation. And um, I think it was a way for them to say, well, we're not merely translating this content. We are trans creating. So guess what? We're going to charge you 60% more. And I I think it's ridiculous. And the first time I heard it in the marketplace uh, we had a client that did spec sheets now, and this was for um, uh, in manufacturing. It was absolutely the least sexy of document that you can imagine. It was um, specs for uh, a piece of machinery. And so, well, you know, we don't really, you know, we don't merely want this translated. We really, we really want to get a quote for trans creation on this one. And you know, I had to have basically this discussion to say, look, every time, every time we engage in a translation, we're essentially doing transcreation. What are some of the important aspects around it? I, I think the definition you read is really good. And it talks about, you know, understanding, you know, who the target audience is, you know, where are the countries that this is going into? How are we going to adapt it? And there's all sorts of things that go into that, right, Patrick? I mean, like, what are some of the things that you think of that when you look at a translation project, need to be adapted. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before we get into that, I remembered the thing that slipped my mind. Um, And it's, we always kind of talk about how language is culture and kind of the two are so intertwined that it's hard to pull one out from the other. Um, So really, if you are someone who is an expert in that language, really the expectation is that you're also an expert in the culture. You're keeping up on trends, you know, language changes over time. You're keeping up with those changes over time. Um, So I think as a linguist, it's kind of your responsibility to keep up with, you know, how language is changing. And at the same time, how cultural is changing the way you keep up on languages, you know, read media, absorb media from that country, from that language. And then you also absorb the culture at that point. Um, and I think to, to your question, I think, um, I think that transcreation has a little bit of a place in the market. I think when I hear that term, I think mostly marketing speak. That's what really triggers um, anyone looking for transcreation. Um, but at the same time, it's still essentially translation. It's you know adapting that translation for your target market. So when you boil it down, it is still translation at its core. I mean, that brings up a couple of points that I can think of. Um, you know, that's why in, in, in our industry, you'll always hear, oh, gosh, you know, was this done by a native speaker? And absolutely. I mean, that brings it up. That's, that's where, where you have this idea of transcreation, that it's someone that's well immersed in the culture and, you know, what's appropriate language and any changes to the language. So, I mean, that's where that idea of, oh, we have to have a native speaker comes in, which I think is a valid point. Um, but great, great, uh, point you made about the, the fact that, you know, that person has to be immersed in what's, what's new, right? Because think of it this way. I mean, there's things that even, you know, just thinking of how English has immersed itself in a lot of, uh, European languages, right? And sometimes using terms that were appropriate 10 years ago, or even 15 years ago are no longer appropriate, um, 
you know, the words shopping and, and footing for jogging. For example, I can think of an Italian, you know, they use uh, shopping. They use that term footing. They use that for, for jogging, um, you know, the English term for jogging, uh, UK English, I should say. So, you know, there's just some examples of, you know, where that's happening. And I think like with localization in our industry, it's really become focused on software, especially like the video game market and um, apps and software, you know, it's, it's coming up with those considerations. And again, I think there's some aspects, there's some bleed across all these trans creation, localization, translation. And I I can think of some examples, you know, when we have clients that come to us, say, Oh, you know, we're, 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 we're breaking into the European market and, you know, they have terms like, you know, calling 911. Well, you don't, you can't really call 911. It's a different number in each country. Um, you know, it might be 311. It might be something else, you know, that you, you really have to adapt that or when they're talking about, well, you know, if your insurance benefits, well, insurance doesn't exist in the same way um, in other countries as it exists here. So, you know, sort of those topics like that we think of are just sort of innate knowledge. Like if I say the words 401k and every American thinks, oh, I understand what that means. You're talking about retirement. Well, 401k doesn't mean a damn thing anywhere else. Yeah, I think um, to your point as well, um, we do see a lot more kind of requests for localization when it is kind of in that software space. Um, I think it's bleeding into to websites as well. Um, we have a lot of things where um, when we translate website content, um, the the teams that send it to us are typically based in the U.S. and they may not realize that certain um certain laws, certain things don't apply to that target market. So we'll send the translation for review out to, you know, whoever might be reviewing it in country on the client side and they'll be like, why is all of this stuff included? It doesn't, you know, let's just for certain, for example, uh, something I saw the other day was um, there's a law in France that limits the advertising of alcohol and tobacco to underagers. Um, And we were doing a site for a company that, primarily uh, makes and sells alcohol. So a lot of the French uh, translations were kind of rejected in a sense because they're like, hey, we can't do this. It's illegal in France. Um, So I think, you know, having that client buy-in as well is super important. Having them involved in the process can really make sure that all the bases are covered. Yeah. I mean, especially on the English side, because sometimes you can save some effort uh, or you just have to realize, you know, we've done projects before where there's sort of one source or one set of English for one set of target countries. And for another set of target countries, it might be something that's adapted. And it's important that you have that source in place. And, you know, a quick review of the English um, really helps You know, getting buy-in from any in-country reviewers or subject matter experts ahead of time, you know, helps a lot. Um, you know, I, I guess we should think about this, Patrick. So I'm a customer and, you know, things that I can think is, why does this matter to me? And so when I call my provider, what should I be asking for? What are the conversations? You know, maybe we can spend a little bit of time on that. I know you said you recently read, uh, you had shared with me that you recently read a LinkedIn post about transcreation and the effort involved. You know, maybe we could chat about that a bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the post I read, um, and I apologize, I don't remember where I saw it or who posted it, but that's not super important anyways. But um, it was from a translator slash transcreator that said, you know, it took them a couple of hours uh, to transcreate three words. And that really kind of struck me. I was like, hmm, that seems like a lot of time to do a relatively small task. Um, 
but then I thought about it a little more. Maybe it's some sort of marketing uh, motto or some something in the marketing world that does require a little bit more thought. It's not just like we said; it's not uh, a conversion. It's not this equals that, this that, this that, and then you're done translating. Um, but at the same time, I mean, from the client side, when I think of that, I think you know, what am I being charged for? Let's say I have that three word project. Am I going to be charge a couple of hours to do that or one hour or what what would the scenario be there um and at least in my opinion that should still fall under the minimum charge translators almost all translators have a minimum charge typically that equates to one hour of work anyways so i think that's sufficient to get that kind of three words done even if it is a motto i think that's a reasonable expectation that you'd get about an hour to work on that well that's a great point and i think for me the way I like to think of that conversation and two points on this, and one is probably going to get me in trouble with some translators, but I like to think you have to bring the right set of tools, right? So where a ball peen hammer is required, bringing a sledgehammer is a terrible idea, right? And where our sledgehammer is required, if you bring the ball peen hammer, you're in trouble. And, you know, I can think of like, as an example, some things that are very difficult might be a slogan and maybe like we've done some work for some pharmaceuticals where they're trying to name a drug. And one of the things they'll do is they'll have like 15, um, 15 candidates. Like here are these 15 names. Could you go to these 30 languages? And we want to make sure, you know, does this rhyme with anything that's vulgar? Does it sound like anything that's vulgar? Does it, you know, and I think of those efforts all as supporting a transcreation effort. But again, for me, Supporting a good translation workflow is really what it is. Um, and I think, you know, that might require some research. That might, might require some time. But it's nothing extravagant. And like you say, Patrick, it might be a few hours. And sometimes in our industry, I know one of the things that, you know, people like to look at is like, oh, well, that's a big company. And, you know, they have deep pockets. And they're going to make a lot of money off of that slogan. So we should price accordingly. And I don't necessarily agree with that. So does that mean that if I buy a typewriter, and I write a million dollar novel um, out of it, that I should pay the seller of the typewriter half a million dollars, or a quarter of a million dollars? It doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I do know that with some voiceover talent, some different things, because I, I mean, all I have to do is talk to any good literary translator and they'll tell you that, you know, they wish that they could get, you know, more of royalties or it. And it's, it's an unfortunate thing, right? We can create income for people. We can create um, a higher capacity to earn, but it's sort of just our, you know, what we do. Um, and that could be a whole nother show that we talk about. You know, yeah. I mean, the way I like to think of it is kind of we're, we're a cog in the wheel that makes that company with deep pockets work better. So, I mean, it would be great if we could get more money every time we make them more money, but that's really not the reality of just how the relationship between translation buyer and supplier really works. I would agree. We probably won't make some friends with that uh, opinion, but I, I think it's the right thing. I mean, it's it's no different than if, you know, if you're a creator or you're an, an innovator and you work for a company, I mean, one of the very first things you sign is that, hey, if I work here, and I create something cool, 
the patent goes to the company. I mean, you know, there's, that's kind of just how things work. Um, but I, I, I mean, getting back to the point, I think, yeah, it's, it's bringing the right tool set and the right approach. And we look at all those jobs individually, right? It's like, all right, well, for this one, we're trying to figure out if there's any vulgarities that are buried in those project titles. And then when we, when we create other candidates, let's say there's some that aren't appropriate, it's, you know, bringing that same tool set to say, all right, well, we're going to do deep Google searches to see what else is out there in the foreign language. Cause that's things that, you know, maybe our client can't do is to get into the Italian version of Google, the French version of Google, and just look for similarities, look for things that might cause them a problem. And to me, those are all part of transcreation. And with localization, I, I mean, I don't know. I always think of, I always think of that the activities around software, right? Like, you know, we're, we're, making sure that this is going to work. You know, are we talking about the real estate on screen and are we going to get some overwrites? You know, German with its compound nouns, it's very important. So it's all those activities that go around creating a great translation that's also going to work on screen or going to work in a voiceover or going to work for what that target is. Um, but I guess going back to it, so, I mean, what should, what should the client think, Patrick? I, I want to get your opinion on this. So they're, they're calling you for a project. I mean, should they be saying the word localization or should they say, should they say I want a transcreation or what, what should they, what should they tell you as the project? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the most valuable thing they can do is one schedule that call with their provider um, and talk them through their project. Just kind of, it's always informative for us as project managers to hear, you know, what's, what's the point of this project on your end? What's the goal? Why are you translating it? What do you, what are your objectives to, what are you going to do with the translation that can kind of gear us to kind of steer the project in the right direction and then pick one of those paths that we go down. Um, like you said, kind of maybe doing an instruction manual for heavy machinery is going to require a different approach than evaluating uh, different marketing slogans that they're thinking about. So really if you provide as much information as you can to your provider, they can determine what the most appropriate workflow is and kind of how to steer you in the best direction. Yeah, that I, I think that makes sense. And I, I don't know that I think that conversation is far more important than asking the customer to come up with a title. Like if someone sends me or you a job that says, hey, uh, this is a new transcreation job, I'm not going to handle it any differently than someone who writes and says, here's a new translation job. I mean, essentially, we look at the job, not how you title it, right? Mm -hmm. Look at the job. What are the specs and what are those things? Yeah, you hit it right on the head. Target audience, um, you know, any future use that you might use, you know, is this material going to eventually be transitioned into a website or, you know, then are there complementary printed pieces that go with this? Uh, is there a subject matter expert that's going to be involved? Um, you know, are you, oh, this is French. You know, what countries are you targeting? Is it just France or is it France and Canada? Like, these are all good questions that go into creating any good translation. And if you want to call it an elephant or transcreation or any other word, it really doesn't matter to us is kind of, I guess, one of the main points I'd like to make. Yeah, I think that's part of the function of the project manager is to review every project and best assess kind of what path, what team we're going to assign it to. You know, we're not going to give a marketing translation project to someone who's got super, uh, super good technical traps. We're not going to just misassign it and blatantly chuck it over the fence. We're going to align that project to one of our linguists who is an expert in that field. Yeah, I mean, that's an incredible. That's another great, important point is that it's about 
you know, the topics that are involved. Um, let me ask you this, Patrick. So the difference does matter though, doesn't it? I mean, it, it does matter. Maybe it just doesn't matter for the customer request, but you know, I'm kind of thinking of like new people in the industry or I think it matters maybe. Yeah. I think it's important to kind of know what all of these terms mean. Um, but I want to go back to something I said before is it all kind of boils down to translation at the end of the day. Um, well, they are, all three of these terms are a little bit different. Essentially they're all the same, at least in my opinion, it's, you know, it really at its core is all translation. And like we said before, language is culture. So if someone knows the language, they're also, they know the culture, they're keeping up on trends, like we said. So really, I think it's a safe bet to assume that they are also keeping up on culture and kind of those that impact as well of the translation. Great. Well, I think we've, uh, we've beat up this topic pretty well. We've likely made some friends, we've likely made some enemies. So let's just chalk that one up to success then. Um, Patrick, what's your biggest takeaway from this discussion? Uh, I think that it's important for buyers of translation to not um, get caught up in kind of the fancy names that are assigned to things. Uh, I think it's important for you to, as a buyer, to talk to the translation provider, kind of have them walk you through their process, how they're going to handle this project. Um, And this could be for your first project or it could be for your hundredth project. It really doesn't matter. I think you really need to have that accessibility to your provider, but talk to them, see what they're thinking, see how they're going to handle the project. And if you're not in sync with that, you know, uh, speak up, let them know and say, Hey, you know, this is what we were thinking and perhaps they can accommodate or perhaps they'll maybe push back and say, you know, no, we really should do it this way. I think having that conversation with your provider and really walking through the process of how any project is going to work is going to prove very, very valuable. That's a great point. For me, it's, it's similar. My biggest takeaway is that um, the title or what you're calling a project is far less important than that conversation you have with the project manager and perhaps even the production manager um, at the translation service provider you're using. Share all of the relevant information. What are your plans in the future? Where is this going to be used? What's the target audience? Because again, remember, if we're doing you know, video game prompts and voiceover prompts, it's far different than the voiceover prompts we do that go inside of a defibrillator, right? The audience is very different. So all of that in- information you share helps build the important production aspects of your job. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I wanted and, to tack out one, one final thing too. Um, specifics are important when you're talking to a project manager. Um, one of the things that I see basically every day is someone will come with a request and they say, I want this for Spanish. And my first question is, where are you using this every single time? So if you can provide that information up front, it's going to eliminate any questions that come up down the road. Um, so I think drilling down to specifics is super important. Same with French or any, any language that's spoken in many countries. Um, I think it's a responsibility of a good project manager to hammer down those locales before they really do any work on the project. Absolutely, Patrick. And with that, we will close this episode of Translation Confidential. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, this is Peter and Patrick signing off.